You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today we are answering listener questions i know this is a favorite of our show from all of our listeners we get uh, questions periodically and whenever i get a big group of them actually i've had a big group of them but i've had a lot of topics that you guys have submitted that i felt like needed an entire episode so now we're going back to our roots and we're actually going to answer some of the questions that ended up in the mailbag over the past couple of weeks so Without further ado, let's get right into it. Our first email comes from Nate, and he has a female German short-haired pointer. And he writes, Hi, Victoria. I have a female German short-haired pointer that is almost three years old. We've been taking her to the same dog park since she was about a year old. This dog park is a wooded naturalized area with a path that is about half a mile around. There's a creek and a beach area, not the typical fenced-in dog park. She's spaded up to date on shots. During the first year, she got nipped a few times. She had minor cuts, but nothing major. She played with many dogs, usually between the puppy stage and two years old at the time. Many of them have become friends and we see them regularly at the park. She also learned that not all dogs wanted to play and when encouraging a new dog, or, or when encountering a new dog, she began to wait to feel the dog out before she interacted with them. During the past year, she has started hunting more. And while she, she still plays, she's she tends to spend more time hunting. Over the past month, if an unfamiliar dog runs up and tries to play with her before she's gotten a feel for the dog, she'll snap at it. But that's still as far as it's gone. This week, however, two instances have made me uneasy. The first, there was a husky puppy at the park who ran over to play with another... uh, The first was a husky puppy at the park that ran over to play with another dog that she played with regularly. This other dog was playing aggressively with the puppy, but not trying to hurt it. The puppy was getting overwhelmed and it was on its back. My friend was trying to stop his dog from going after the puppy. My dog then ran over and started barking at the puppy, then tried to bite at it. I don't think she was trying to hurt it, but she was definitely too aggressive. The second incident really bothered me because the dog she went after is a dog she's always played well with. It's a female dog that's about the same age as my dog, if not a bit younger. Very friendly and a little smaller than my dog. We've seen this dog. We haven't seen this dog around the park in the last few months due to the winter. Anyways, we just walked through the gate. I let her off the leash, and we started to make our way down the path. She started trying to dig a partially uncovered stick out of the ice. There was a lot of other dogs around, which isn't unusual. There was a man there taking pictures, and he was a lap, at least 10 to 15 feet from her. And he started taking pictures of her trying to get the stick out. Shortly after she started trying to get the stick out, her friend ran over to her and showed interest in the stick. She suddenly went and began attacking her, snapping and snarling, lips drawn back. It only lasted about 10 seconds max, but she seemed like she was trying to hurt this dog, which really bothered me since she knew her. I'd really like to know if this is something I can correct and how. She's generally a friendly and loving dog. I can take her to this park at least or I take her to this park at least three to four times a week and more during the summer. It's become a second home for us, and both of us have made many friends. After these instances, the rest of the time at the dog park, the day was issue-free. Love to hear any advice you have. Thanks, Nate. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, Nate. I... Wow. Where to start? Okay. So... I think I need to take your email in in the way it was written, uh, piece by piece. So, first of all, you already have a hunting breed, so you know that they can get really motivated to do that work, especially when you've started utilizing that skill set, which it sounds like you have, and that's great because having an outlet for something that is natural instinct to me is what's fair to the for, fair to the dog. Um, so good on you on that one. As far as the earlier part of your email where you talk about her first year she got nipped a few times. While this may seem like almost completely unimportant, it probably did leave an impression. Even if it was just a nip and it didn't escalate in a full-on bite uh, or a fight that may have involved other dogs or just gotten really hairy, Uh, you know, you definitely have created an event where she knew she had to be defensive. 
So I'm bringing that up on purpose because during a first and second imprint period is when they establish relationships, what boundaries they're going to have, what they're going to be defensive and protective over, what they're going to be fearful of. Uh, basically, the, the psyche of your dog is established very, very early on. In fact, you know, a lot of... We have Patricia, Patricia McConnell joining our show soon, and she wrote a book called Pup, Puppy Primer. And it really talks about how the very early stages, the very early weeks are so crucial. And, you know, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and I understand that. But, you know, unlike other periods of, of uh, other growth periods that they'll go through or other emotional periods or developmental periods they, they hit and reach and, and milestones, these are unique because they can't be undone and they can't be redone. Um, so you, you know, what could have just been something that on the surface you might've brushed off because she walked away, what seemed like unscathed, you know, when she got big and bad and started learning a new skill set, then she was like, you know what, this is my stick and I'm not going to share it. I don't think her behavior in that context was that off the wall. I think that she was like, no, I did all the work to get this and I'm not sharing it. I think it was a lot more simplistic than it may have seemed. Um, you know, I know that on the heels of another incident, it's probably giving you pause and that's a good thing actually, but I don't think that she's necessarily escalating the way I would tell a client she might be in another circumstance because, you know, she's not recklessly going after every dog she's gotten to the point where she's frustrated. You know, she's kind of gotten picked on before. Now she has a new skill set. She's at the dog park. She enjoys that space. It's familiar to her. You know, dog parks, a lot of times, what keeps things politically correct is that it doesn't become a second home because when it does, then they start claiming ownership over space. And it, in all likelihood, she thinks my space, my stick, I'm not sharing it. So even though that was her friend, it would be much like a toddler deciding, you know, their new bar Barbie was not to be shared with anyone that they took to class. So even though it was technically neutral territory, they were playing with it at their desk and they don't want anybody going in their desk. Essentially, that's probably how she felt at the time. All that said, I think, you know, when it comes to dog parks, you have to be really vigilant. And the fact that you're taking notice of a problem as it's materializing is good. But when you see a problem like that starting to, to develop, I nip it in the butt immediately, especially since it's a foreign issue you haven't seen for a really, really long period of time. This isn't ritualistic yet. So next time you go to the dog park and she acts out and tries to pull rank on another dog, even if you feel like it was justified, okay, and the fun. You know, if you feel like a dog was harassing her, I wouldn't necessarily end, end her fun that way. I would certainly take her out of the mix because she's not making the wisest of choices. And if it, she feels harassed, she's more likely to go right back to that headspace. And then you start ritualizing behavior because, you know, negative associations can feed into other areas. A dog can be really, really nervous about dealing with large dogs, but if a small dog pushes them into that same emotional headspace, guess what? They're going to react the same way to that small dog that they would have to the large one, even though previously they never had a history that was uh, like a negative negative association with that small dog. So this is really more of a thing where it, it's not, it, I don't even know that she's so much possessive as she's defensive. You know, I think that if she had been too close to you and felt like she was getting all of your attention, she could have easily snapped on something like that. In fact, that might be her next step. You know, you might be petting another, you might be petting her and another dog might walk up to you at the dog park and then all of a sudden you just hear her growling or rumbling. I wouldn't be at all surprised if she tries that because she's kind of pushing the limits to see how you respond in all likelihood. And, and all of that comes from a place of concern. She's not doing it recklessly. You know, to her, it was very cut and dry. I dug up the, the, the to think of it like a bone. You know, I dug it up. I worked for it. You're not going to take my kill. You know, to her, it's simple. So I'm not really surprised that she lashed out. Um, when, in terms of the Husky incident, I will tell you that in any sort of high-pitched situation where you can have dogs that are the best of friends, and if and a third dog is involved, or even just the two of them, um, and they hear a, a screeching of another dog, a high-pitched tone, it is more likely to activate the prey drive in a second or less than anything else. 
um, more so than even that hunting instinct that you key into on a regular basis because what do prey do when you finally catch them? They scream. Or as you're closing in on them, they'll scream. So to, to your dog, you know, when the dog was in a submissive position, I don't think she was trying to dominate him again in that context. I think it was more of a hooking into instinct you know, not that she necessarily has the strongest prey drive, but it certainly would trigger that emotion. Doesn't mean that she wanted to harm the dog and kill the dog, but you know, if he was already on his back and exposed and making that kind of noise, I've seen the nicest of dogs go after a dog they would have normally never gone after. And that's one of the reasons why I love the, the idea of dog parks and I'm so glad that you've had great experiences, but you know, in, in this particular scenario, you need to do a few things proactively. First of all, you need to have a really close eye on her, which means it might be less of a social event over the next month or so when you're practicing uh, keying into her behavior, because you're gonna start noticing when she is, I mean, like you said, you know, she's, she's focusing so much more time on hunting now. So maybe break that up with a game of tossing a ball or something. If she's not, you know, starting to be possessive of things that you throw at the park, or I don't even know if she likes to play fetch, but you know, even doing cues at the park without treats present, cause you don't want to be feeding the sharks in the middle of a paddock, uh, you know, but that could be a way to break up this behavior because if she is too tuned into hunting and she's in a public forum, where not everybody's gonna be in that same frame of mind, sooner or later she's going to run into some sort of volatility, uh, uh, hostility. She's gonna run, at some point or another, she's going to run into some sort of hostility. She won't expect it. She won't necessarily uh, know how to respond appropriately. And that's where, when she starts running off the, the rails or you start feeling her energy change, her body language shifts, uh, maybe her hackles come up, maybe you are hearing something verbally, I would say, uh-uh. Actually, if you hear her you know, getting verbal, at that point, she's telling you she's had enough. Whether she's had enough for the day or she's had enough of that interaction or she's trying to be defensive, in all contexts, that means you get to leave now. Because you don't want, you know, I'd make an event of it. I'd be like, oh, that's it. Because if it's something that you don't want her to do every time you're at the dog park, you need to take the dog park away when she does it. Because you enjoy it and you know that she enjoys it. So use, you know, appeal to her greed. You know she wants to be there. Um, you know, I'm not a multiple opportunity type of person. I like to leave an impression the first time. I feel like it, it you know, it requires more of a, an emotional shift than going back and forth and giving so many opportunities for an animal to fail. I like to send the message clearly. So if she were, you know, do if we let's replay this whole scenario. So if we'll take the puppy, for example, so a dog starts going after that puppy all over again, your dog goes over and starts going after it. And maybe you don't even get the sense that she wants to harm it, but she's just way too involved. Okay. In that situation, because she's not feeling defensive and she's being offensive, I would go, uh-uh, no ma'am, and take her straight out of that dog park and straight home. And I'd make, when I, when I got home, her day would be boring. We wouldn't be playing a bunch of stuff. You know, she wouldn't be in an ex exile. I wouldn't be hoping that she was thinking about all that she did. I'm pretty sure that message would be sent, especially as intelligent as this breed is, pretty early on. Um, that all said, you know, you have to be consistent. So every time that she shows inflammatory, inflammatory behavior, you have to intervene immediately. Now let's talk about something like in the context of she's being defensive. So what do you do then? I don't like to correct verbal warnings from dogs. I think it is a cornerstone behavior that should be avoided with training in general because at some point or another, you need that signal. And the number one thing you don't want is a dog that doesn't signal. Uh, I like to have, there are always physical warnings and, and body language, but if you're not paying attention, which I always am, but if you're not paying attention, it can really bite you. So, and so can the dog. So body language is key. And it sounds like you've kind of keyed into when she's tuning you out and when she's focused on hunting the same way you would if all of a sudden she was honing in on a stick or a bone or a tennis ball that she found at the park. As soon as she gets too obsessed or really obsessed in general, I would break up that behavior. Because when a dog is obsessed in a public environment, nine times out of 10, it's just a series of events before they get in a fight. 
which I think is one of the main problems I avoid dog parks for. I think it's a wonderful experience if you are keyed into it. And I think it can be a valuable experience for the dog, but like you're, you're seeing, you know, you can't control all the free radicals at play. All you can do is address her. So when, you know, you've got a dog like the puppy scenario, I'd remove her. But when you've got a when you've got a situation where she's trying to tell somebody off and stays, stay the heck away from my bone, that's a different thing. She's giving them a warning. I would still take her out and make her leave, but I would not correct. I wouldn't go, uh-uh, no ma'am, stop barking. I don't want any of that. I don't want to stop her from barking. I don't want her to stop telling me that she's uncomfortable or telling the other dog for that matter, because that's the language they understand. That said, she doesn't need to be on a power trip. Uh, you might think about making your trips a little bit more brief so she has less time to round around and start claiming space. You know, if you're there for, I don't know if you're there over an hour, but you know, given a, enough time and the frequency you're there, she might just think that it's an extra house. You know, it's, she's just like, well, look at this big, big extra backyard that dad got me. So perspective is important. You don't want her to think that she owns the, the dog park. You might even see if she responds the same way at a different dog park. I'd be interested to know if she carries over the behavior to a foreign environment. Um, that said, there is a, is, is a minor amount of escalation here, but I don't think it's all the same problem. I think in one case she was possessive and in one case she was reacting to an energy that I, most dogs would. That said, it's something worth addressing and, and just make sure that you are not correcting verbal uh, verbal warnings. Just make sure that she isn't getting out of control. If she starts descending on a puppy like a wolf, then you need to interrupt and say, uh-uh, no, we don't be behave that way. As she matures and starts shutting the behavior down, then you can keep her at the dog park and see, you know, put her in like a downstay, uh, get her to decompress, and then release her and see if she goes back to it. And if she does, that's when I would start leaving again. So, you know, you, you get to a point where you can start giving her a second chance and trying to address it without leaving every single time. But on the foreground, on the forefront, you're not there yet. So give those things a try. Please uh, go ahead and send me another email. I would love to hear it. Uh, but that's that's my advice on all of this for now. Don't give up on the dog park. I typically would not say that, but it sounds like she quite enjoys it. But I think you need to rein it in a little bit. I think that she is a little bit too much out of her own head. And because she, you know, even if you intervene and stop her in the minute, if she doesn't immediately have to end the game and lo lose all her friends and all that freedom and have to leave that stick behind, she's not losing enough to motivate her to stop. <laughs> so anyway, best of luck on that. Dear dog guru, my dog Bosun is a handful. Oh, it's, a, it's another German short hair pointer. I guess they're all thinking of me today. Okay, so it says, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna give you the Reader's Digest version. So it says, so I, I got two emails on Bosun, and the first I almost didn't believe when I got it because it seemed too hilarious to be real. So Bosun is a German short hair pointer, uh, very intelligent dog, and apparently he loves his owner very, very much. And in this email, he characterizes some fun idiosyncrasies of the dog's behavior and some of his fun mannerisms, but there is a problem, problematic behavior that he brought to me, and that is the dog is hiding his keys. He started with some separation anxiety when he was a puppy, and albeit the owner admits that he never addressed it. Well, now the puppy is about two years old, and I do still say puppy because German short hair pointers have a lot of energy and they keep that puppy mindset for a little bit longer than most breeds. And I think that's largely because, you know, they're, they're an active breed, they're a working breed, they're a hunting breed. So he goes into how, Right before he gets ready to leave for work, as soon as he's done shaving, the dog starts scouring the house for his keys. And once he finds the keys, he hides the keys from the owner. And this has been, comes, become such a problem that he went ahead and got a key finder, which actually was gonna be my first suggestion as just damage control in the interim. Uh, Cause I have one, I'm always losing my keys and I'm always losing my phone. So I have a key finder on each one. And it turns out that Bosun was smart enough to identify that the key finder is how dad was finding the keys, removed it, and hid the key finder separate from the keys. This is why I thought it was a joke when I first got this email. Uh, and it comes, by the way, from Jackson Wallace in, in, oh, and he's from Wales. Okay, so, all right. So he asks, 
So what can I do about this adorable slash inconvenient problem? He also talks about how this, the follow-up email was about how on Friday night he had a date and he had to explain to his date that he couldn't leave to pick her up in his own car because he was still looking for the keys. He says, needless to say, I didn't get a second date. So in an effort to help preserve his love life and perhaps help him find an, uh, an alternative solution to this issue, I, I'm, I've got some ideas. So first of all, Congratulations on finding one of the most inventive German short hair pointers I've ever heard of. Uh, short of, I, I, I've heard some inventive stories with dogs coming up with some cool behaviors to get attention. A pug comes to mind with a great story there. Uh, but this is one of my favorites. I think this is one of my favorite emails I've ever received. <laughs> so, so talking about the anxiety, you, you do mention that you've never addressed it. Well, the only way to really stop him from taking your stuff, especially since he knows that the keys are what make you really leave and he's not going after your shoes and he's not going after your socks or your wallet. If he's smart enough to single a specific item out, that's one of his main triggers. So I would start there. I, I actually am going to uh, link you to a previous episode where we talk about separation anxiety and how to break it down step by step. But to kind of debrief you about what that would look like, you want to make uh, you want to make what is negative positive. So if you know that every time you finish shaving, he's about to go beeline for your keys, then I would go, first of all, grab your keys before he can get a hold of them and before you start shaving, if you know that's the MO, like it's almost timed exactly. Uh, but the other thing is you have to break up the pattern so that it's not as, as uh, predictable as it's been in the past. So maybe before you shave, you feed him. So now he's distracted his foods and his head's in the food bowl and he's eating there and then you go about shaving. So now you're already doing something very small to break up the cycle that he is most familiar with. I mentioned shoes being a trigger for a lot of dogs, purses being another one, being that you're a male, I, I doubt you're using a purse, but if you were using a purse, uh, I would break it up like that. I would take the keys in and out of it. Also, stop making your keys so accessible to the dog. Maybe, I, I wouldn't even put him on a hook because he's probably smart enough to get on his hind legs and grab him off of a, a key hook. So if you don't have a secure space, do something that you know you're gonna have to, put it beside something that he can't have access to and you know that you won't forget in the morning. So if you go in the morning and I don't know, you have to get creamer for your coffee every morning, maybe put it right, before, right, right beside your uh, creamer before you put it in and, and leave for the day. I'm not saying do that long term, and it does sound a little nuts, but I, I'm saying, you know, if, if this is preventing you, you from actually going out on dates, then you have to do damage control while you address the actual anxiety element. And you need to neutralize all triggers. If shaving is a trigger, you need to shave and not leave. So this weekend, pretend to shave. He doesn't know if you're shaving or not. He doesn't, he just has an, an association with the visuals with it, maybe even the scent of it. So you know, go through the motions and then watch some Netflix, you know, break up what he associates and he won't have that same association. And then when you do start moving towards leaving, okay, make no event of it. I don't know if you say goodbye to your puppy or I'll miss you all day, anything like that. Make no event of you leaving because he already is intensified emotionally by knowing you're about to deuce out on him for the day. So don't make an event of that. Just Say nothing, sounds kind of cold, but just leave like a thief in the night. And the other thing that I would recommend with regards to, um, you know, really getting him away from this problem and, and realizing that you are gonna come back and he doesn't have to confiscate your keys for dad to show up. You know, you could just walk out of the door for a second or two, count to yourself, you know, say the name of your state and then walk back in and reward the dog. That teaches him you're coming back. Dogs have very short brain cycles. In fact, it's insanely short if they're not hyper-focused on you. So when they are hyper-focused on you, it's about seven to nine seconds. Uh, the longest I've ever seen, the, the longest brain pattern I've ever seen a dog hold was about nine seconds at, at like, at the hardest. That doesn't mean they can't hold the behavior long, longer than that, but they're, st they're, they're holding it because their brain is reminding them to do it over and over and over. It's not because they're holding that thought the entire time. 
And, and that's something to be mindful of right there because, you know, if you put a dog in a stay, most people are assuming that in the back of the dog's mind, he's hearing stay, 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 stay put, stay put. In reality, he's not. In reality, he heard it the first time and now he's waiting for another trigger, another visual, another visual or audio cue that he can go on to go, okay, now I'm done with that. It, it becomes trial and error and reading us and learning from us that kind of paves the way to the right behavior. I feel like that's almost self-explanatory, but now that I've said it out loud, it's out there. So <laughs> anyway, okay, um, next question or well, next email anyway, sometimes they're not questions. <laughs> Dear dog guru, my son is interested in animals, dogs more than anything else. How did you know that this was your passion? What sort of training would you, would you recommend that he go through to be a qualified trainer? He listens to every episode, so Barkin and Ford say hello, and they'll be listening in for your words of wisdom. Anything you could tell us would be helpful. And on that note, my son started listening to your show before I even knew of it on iTunes and got him fully potty trained without my help at all. Your show is a regular listen in our home. Warmly, the Harlesons. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I have a son, so that really touches my heart, actually. Okay, so... Uh, well, okay, so there are a, a lot of different ways that people become trainers. I wasn't just a trainer, so I don't know if his passion is to work with dogs as a whole or if he wants to be a trainer or if he has any interest in studying behavior. I, I did a lot of different things. I, I studied psychology and um, veterinary science and, and then there was obviously the training element. So I have a very different cohesive background and not, it really isn't necessary to go to that those lengths. Um, there are some great programs out there. Karen Pryor has one of them that I really like. It's an online program, I believe, and they have a mentorship program through that. So you could check her out, karenpryor.com. And then there are others. Ian Dunbar, I know, does have one. Uh, positively from Victoria Stillwell. I love her, so I'm sure her program is excellent. I'm not endorsing any of these. I've not gone through these particular programs myself. Uh, the way that I learned is I started early. I saw a need, I filled that need, and then I got the education to back it up. Um, you know, I actually first, my very first experience with dog training was training my own puppy that I had adopted and I didn't, I was a teenager, I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted a puppy and I wanted it to be well behaved and a, a whole passion was brewing from that. And then I started working with greyhounds and things like that. And I saw that they were poorly socialized before they came into a rescue scenario. Some of them hadn't even been on pavement before or grass. Uh, they re would recognize their own breed, but rarely any others. They, they didn't have any association or social boundaries. So, I mean, I saw a need there and I tried to fill that need by starting to te teach them cues, socialize them, get them experience. And then they started just, <laughs> in so many words, flying off the shelves. They became homeable. Uh, the rescue was really happy and supportive of me continuously reaching out. And um, I didn't mean it to turn into the business it did, but it took off really quickly. And, you know, one second I was a teenager just doing it for free, and then I was a teenager doing it for pay. Uh, then I did go through a couple of different programs. The reason I'm not outlining those is because one of them has since dissolved. And the other, I don't feel like is the best program out there. I feel like there are other ways to reach your goal that could be preferable to the way I started. Um, there are, and depending on where you are in the country, you know, I know PetSmart has a training program for their trainers. You know, it just depends on where he wants to start. If he has a true long, lifelong goal like I did, to be learning their psychology and their biochemistry and you know their all the mannerisms that go with dog ownership or i mean all the idiosyncrasies that go with dog ownership and all the things that go with um the health care and welfare of an animal that <laughs> could take him the rest of his life and that path is something that only he can really choose on his own if, if you'd ask me the truth for the truth i mean that's really what i would say i think everybody has their own compass and their own North Star. And for me, I my focus and, and 
my forte was in aggression. But you know, a lot of people don't want to touch an aggressive dog. They'd rather just work with puppies all day. And there's absolutely a market for that. So it depends on what his, his desires are. If he wanted to follow exactly in my footsteps, just tell him he'll be spending about a decade in college. <laughs> and um, you know, but you don't have to do it that way. I've seen plenty of excellent trainers, um, people that are I, I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, certified pet door dog trainers, you know, there is a, a, a test for that and he could study for that and there are programs for, for prep for that. I feel like those qualified trainers on a deeper level than a lot of programs you'll spend three to 12,000 on or more depending on exactly where you're looking. You know, I, I didn't go to school to become a dog trainer. I mean, I did, but I, it's like that wasn't the end game. The end game came through seeing such a desperate need for these dogs to be re rehabilitated and not just taught sit, stay, and stop. You know, so kind of pick his brain a little bit. I'd love an update to know if his passion is to kind of pursue the scary cases or if he loves working with puppies or, you know, what if he wants to be an agility trainer or a dock diving trainer or a hunt dog trainer? I mean, I would love to know where your son, if he's even has any awareness of those, um, those particular sports, if he has any interest in training on any of those, perhaps I could give more advice more specifically. A great resource though, and, and a resource where you can find a trainer in your area that perhaps could give you some uh, feedback local to where you are, APDT.com, which is the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. I like it because it is a positive reinforcement uh, methodology-based program, or at least it has been. And I, I, it says right there on the screen exactly what the trainers offer. You might not even need a dog trainer, but this would be a great opportunity for you to reach out to somebody who knows exactly your market and and start prepping him for the kind of cases the kinds of cases that he'll come across uh, maybe they'd be even interested in mentoring him i don't know where you guys are but i do know plenty of trainers and behaviorists alike offer mentor programs mentee programs i know that certain um, rescues even offer them because they want to get homes for these dogs so you just want to make sure that wherever he is learning and if he isn't just going into the medical field, that there is a positive reinforcement-based methodology. And I say that because that is a harm-free technique. <laughs> and, you know, especially if he likes my show, I can tell you, I, I endorse this methodology not because it is the only one out there. I recognize there are plenty of others. I, I endorse it because it works and it doesn't harm the animal in the process. I feel like I have a better relationship with my animal after I get through um, the the push and the pull and, and we've done it in a, in a way where we're communicating and we're not forcing one another. Because I certainly would want a dog to learn from me, not in spite of me. So, you know, when you're talking about long-term and longevity and all the innovations we've seen in training throughout the years, especially in the past, I'd say 15 years, more, more so in the past 30, uh, you know, that we're past the point where you have to beat a dog into submission and assume that that's the only way that you can get them potty trained or, you know, to stop barking or to stop biting. You, you don't fight fire with aggression. You don't stop a problem with abrasive behavior because you, you put them into a defensive state of mind. You have zero connection. You've got reaction. So if he's going forward and, you know, he wants to make this training world just a little bit easier on the, the trainers and behaviorists out there like myself, that would be him advocating for not only every breed that's out there and every mix of breed that's out there, uh, but also those of us who are fighting the good fight right now. I, there's a huge following for more abusive, or I, I don't even like using that term, the abusive methods, but emotionally, they are abusive to the animal. And I'm not going to go into great detail of what specifically I'm referring to, because I don't need to go on a tirade about anything or a rant about anything else. That's not what this is about. What this is about is education and understanding and patience and consistency will win you out every time and you do not need to be forceful to do that. You need to be clear. You need to be honest. And I feel like we should be asking that of ourselves just the way we would have a, out of a dog. If we want the absolute best out of them, shouldn't we inspire that change in a, in a positive way, in a way that makes us better people? That's really the goal of this show. 
And I hope that as your son, you know, grows and his interests change and shift and materialize, because we know they do, uh, that he continues to show the same kindness he's showing your dog to all animals. And I hope that he shares, uh, I hope he shares this episode with all his friends and knows that I am very honored that he listens to us. Okay, our next question is... Hey, Dog Guru, my boyfriend and I are finally ready to be puppy parents. We even have a crate, bowl, toys, even food ready. But every time we go to an adoption event, we go home with a little... We go home a little more sad and without a companion. It's so odd. We both want a puppy in our home so much, but we can't pick one. (laughs) Help. Is there a great first breed? I know you said lifestyle matters. So to give you a little background, we live in a two bedroom apartment. I work at home and my boyfriend works five days a week, nine to five. I have a nice big park right in the center of the city to take the pup daily or several times if need be. We're not runners, but we do walk daily. I want something fluffy and my boyfriend wants something with short hairs, so maybe compromise with a medium hair length. I have plenty of time to devote to a dog with lots of time and energy to spare, and I kind of want a bigger dog, but the biggest we can have is 55 pounds. What would you suggest? Ooh, I love new puppy questions. Okay. The first dog that immediately came to mind was an English Golden. I think they're, um, if you like older retrievers, they're they're still Goldens, but they're, I, I feel like I've found some really excellent breeders here. There's not a lot of them in the US. There's probably just a handful here, uh, but I've been really impressed with their minds. They seem like excellent companions. I've worked with them. I haven't seen any of the obsessive behaviors I've seen in some overbred golden retrievers i still think golden retrievers are a fantastic breed but in the midst of being swept up with like the golden doodle trend and all the you know all of that we kind of overbred them and we overuse them so i think an english golden could be a really good compromise if you wanted something with a little bit longer hair than that uh but you still wanted a larger dog i'm thinking you know an american eskimo could be a good call or a Samoyed could be a, a, a really good call, actually. Um, Samoyeds are hard to find, but they are great dogs. They have, you know, you don't want you don't want to go to a bad breeder because they will show more obsessive behaviors, which is the one drawback to them, and they can be really bad barkers. But short of that, they're, they're great apartment dogs. I've seen um, them do excellent in apartment scenarios as long as they get the exercise they need, which it sounds like you're already gonna be there. You're not even leaving the dog crated all day. So that sounds a lot more idyllic than some of the scenarios I've seen them in beforehand. If you were thinking about a dog that maybe wasn't huge, but or, you know, you could think about like something like a standard poodle. They're really intelligent dogs. They're really low maintenance physically. Um, they are, they're really easy to train, but I, I like standard poodles for their size and for the fact that they don't shed everywhere. It's a really nice <laughs> sh- uh, selling point. I mean, they do require grooming, but they have hair, not fur. So I don't know if you have anybody with allergies in the home, but that might be something to consider. Other than that, Hmm. I mean, there are so many great breeds out there. I would have to know. I would have to know if you have breeds that you've real, ruled out in addition to the ones that I've mentioned. Um, just stay away from breeds that are meant to be working breeds, generally, because they're going to have a lot more energy. You know, and I know you haven't mentioned um, a short. You know, wanting a short hair breed, but boxers are great dogs. They're, I've noticed a lot of couples, young couples, love having boxers because they're active and they can go new places and they're not super intimidating, but a woman, if you're walking alone at night, feels confident walking the dog. So that's another option. Um, but I think I would start there. I, I'm really hedging towards English Golden, though. If, if you wanted my first instinct, it would be English Golden because they're they're easy to train. They're not neurotic. Uh, if you, it, There are rescues for them out there. Um, English Cream Goldens it was, it would be my first bet. Real easy to train, nice dogs, uh, something a little bit unique. You won't find them everywhere. I mean, they have a different head shape, too. They're a little, they have a boxier head. 
um, but it'd be just beautiful dogs and really good minds, especially if you ever intend to have children in the future, that would be an easy transition dog. Not all dogs handle transition down the road as easily. So something to think about there. Not that I'm trying to get them to like wife you up and sweep you off unless that's what you guys want. <laughs> but um, congratulations on being soon to be puppy parents. If you are insistent though uh, on rescue, I just reminded myself that you, you were going to adoption events. If you really want to rescue, you're going to get a mixed bag. You're never going to really know what you've got in front of you unless you have a really good handle on breed and breed structure. Um, and someone is being so honest and has equal understanding, which those chances, the chances are remote. So, you know, I've come across some great mixes. In fact, um, I almost, I almost adopted a uh, Newfoundland mix rescue. Um, and it just turned out that they were hoping for the dog to have more property than I had. I mean, even though the dog could have been used for service work, you know, it, they just, it was a different life than they had really wanted for the dog to have. They wanted the dog to be, he, he was a runaway, so they thought it would be best if he were on a large property, like 20, 20 acres, you know, 10 acres, at least acreage. I didn't have acreage, so. Anyway, be that as it may, I, you know, there are some large breeds that can function well in an apartment too. You know, um, believe it or not, St. Bernard's can handle apartments very well if you can handle having them in the apartment. But if you've got a 55 pound weight limit, then I'm still pushing for the, for the English cream golden. <laughs> anyway, if you have any other questions on that, please follow up. You can email me back to dogguru here for you at gmail.com. For those of you who are listening now, um, we're just answering questions from our listeners about their doggies and I'm about to pop into my next one and this one says oh this is sweet um dog guru thank you for doing this broadcast when I first heard of it I was about to give my dog away a sentiment I hate admitting out loud now given all that's changed since I first found your show uh Roger a bolt mastiff mix has really made a turnaround and so have I I went from starting in a really emotional place and I rescued Roger and he kind of rescued me back but in the midst of all of this we got tossed up together and my apartment was a disaster Poor Roger was driving me insane, and I think I was making him pretty darn miserable myself. After listening to your show and taking the all-encompassing knowledge that you shared, I have made a full turnaround, and I am now sharing your show with everyone that I can think of. Anyone who has a dog, some people with cats, and animal lovers all over. I just want you to know that your show touched me in a way that I don't think most people have. I feel like every time I turn on your show and listen to your voice, I'm listening to a real friend, somebody who cares about me and Roger. Sharing in your positive energy, Maria and Roger. Oh, thanks guys. Well, you know, that's really, I've said this many times. I do this show because I feel like knowledge is power. And I feel like, you know, I, I wish I could have reached so many more people when I was actively working and training every day, but there wasn't enough of me to go around. And I didn't have the kind of setup and dynamic I now have, or the ability or time I now have to devote to answering questions that people had outside of clients. So I kind of take this as seriously as I would sitting down in front of a paying client. In a lot of ways, you guys are paying me by giving me your time. And at some point, you know, one of my goals is to fully monetize this broadcast. And we're, you know, I'm, I'm pushing in that direction. And actually in that vein, if you enjoy the show and you would like to contribute, we do have a PayPal. Um, I will post a link in the show notes and there is one also on the Facebook or on Dog Guru Hound. So if you wanna send us a few bucks, share your support and let me know that <laughs> I'm doing something right, I would certainly appreciate it. Otherwise, just keep sharing us with your friends and subscribing. Sooner or later, we'll be able to do even bigger and better things. I've got a few ideas of what we'll, we'll be doing in the, in the coming year and hopefully in the, the year after that. So big things. And speaking of big things, Patricia McConnell is actually going to be joining us next week. I'm so very excited that she'll be on the show. And once that is all edited and ready to put back out there into the airwaves, I will be sharing it with all of you. She, I mentioned her book earlier, Puppy Primer, uh, The Other End of the Leash. There, She has written so many books. So look her up, Patricia McConnell. And she'll be joining me and we're gonna be talking behavior training. We're gonna be talking about her new book, which I encourage everybody to pick up as soon as possible. And um, all things dog, as usual. So definitely tune in for that. 
Okay, I have one more question <laughs> that I actually have a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, Dog Guru, I so hope my email gets read. I listen to you weekly, so I would love to be on it. Haha. Ha. My dog Stabler, yes, like Elliot, a Cogger Spaniel who's one year old, never seems to sleep, and the entire night he's running around in my bed. Halfway through the night, without me waking up, he takes off to do his own thing. This morning, he destroyed my throw pillows. When I'm awake, he's perfect. What would you suggest? I swear he isn't this naughty normally. Emmy in Genoa, Alaska. Well, hello from Alaska. I've actually spent quite a bit of time there. Um, well, Stabler sounds pretty cute, actually. Um, first of all, he's not trying to be naughty. He's got entertainment. You hit the nail on the head. He's just bored. So start doing, leaving some puzzle toys out for him, maybe even on the bed so he doesn't even have to leave the bed. You, don't, you wouldn't want him to jump off the bed and injure himself in the night. You might not even hear it happen. I don't know how heavy of a sleeper you are. So that's the first thing I would do. The other alternative, I don't know how um, married to the idea of him being in bed with you, you are, but if you were okay with it, you might consider putting a basket on the floor or a pendant area so that he can't just take off and destroy something. Um, you know, an X-Pen would probably be preferable. I wouldn't crate a dog that's already a year old that has no experience with a crate. That could cause a lot of emotional trauma. Even done properly, um, you could be pressing on the wrong nerves and your your neighbors may not like it. So um, food for thought there, maybe an X-Pen would be sufficient. This way, if he does wake up during the night, you know, he can't actually do anything. And then there is always the baby gate option. So, he, you know, if he's not destroying things in your room because he technically still feels like you're right there and he's, you know, he's, he's escaping out of the area, then it's more of a containment issue and you I just pop up a baby gate. Unless, of course, you know, you want to put a bell on him if that would wake you up and as soon as he pops out of bed, you're going to hear it. But thinking about injuries and, and the free radicals that, or I mean, the unlucky luck, er, thinking about the things that could go wrong with him sleeping in bed with you at night, just um, logistically him being a small dog and his bones are actually still developing and filling in. So with all of that in mind, I would probably encourage him to be sleeping on the floor if you know for sure he's just like dodging off the bed depending on how high off the floor your bed is, okay? Just a little food for thought there. Okay, my very last question I was about to hop into, but this this is just the best. I think this is one of the funniest ones I've gotten. I, although Bosun is a, is a close, they might, they're neck and neck. I can't even say it's a close second. This one says, Dog Guru, Patty Mayonnaise, and Doug Simpson, my pugs, are not getting along. Now I know what you're thinking. They of course end up together, but the thing is they hate each other. I feel like everybody is taking me <laughs> a little less seriously this week, I guess. Uh, I got Patty two years ago and I've had Doug for five years. He's a nice guy. He usually likes new dogs, including Patty. But lately they fight over every single thing that I have in the house, including, but not limited to, food, toys, me, leashes, space on the couch, the bed, everything. I used to sleep, but they've gotten so loud in their disputes, I'm not sleeping and neither are they. I know you always talk about a trigger. I think it may be me. I had a really bad breakup recently and I've been out of sorts. Doug normally snuggles with me, but now that Potty, now that Potty, now that Patty won't let him get close, I'm starting to wonder if she's keying into the no male zone I've set up. Is that crazy? Do they know? This probably seems far-fetched, but I love these two knuckleheads. I'm open to your advice or any insight you have. Thanks. Okay, so I love your dog's names. <laughs> um, okay, if they are having essentially a lover's quarrel that seems to never end, you need to end it. That means they're not really getting resolution. And that may mean you have to physically separate them. I would immediately stop letting the, either of them sleep in the bed with you. And I would make sure each of them had their own space to sleep in. I wouldn't let them sleep together because they're really biting at each other's, on each other's nerves to an extent that makes me think that they've just had it. Um, rather than letting it become such a cyclical problem and continue growing like you're experiencing, I would go ahead and start physically breaking them up. I don't know if you use a crate with them. That would be one way to do it. The other way to do it is put one on one side of the baby gate and one on the other because you're not saying that they're destructive at all. Um, if they are fighting about everything, you need to key into who starts it. Or is it? if it truly is equal, then you're just going to need to back up quite a bit 
start all your basic obedience all over and make sure that there is not a single hole in your foundation because chances are there there's probably a hole that your dogs are trying to fill in and that's what's causing them to act out. Now, why do I say basic obedience? I just talked about how basic obedience doesn't fix behavior problems, but it can. It can because they right now are just running on their own uh, emotions. They're not really functioning around you. They're not working for you. If you gave them less to work for against each other and more to earn uh, as individuals things that were rewarding, I think you might have a different dynamic that you might be speaking of. Especially since if she has been in the home for two years and you, you're you just seeing the surface now, I think you, you could be correct in saying that they're sensing your stress and they're sensing your anxiety. Um, that said, maybe just cuddle with them extra and make them feel a little bit more secure. Do not reward them when they're being naughty. When they start acting out and, and throwing a fit between one another, I'd split them up, I'd give them a timeout. I mean, they're old enough to know better. You know, split them up. If they're having a quarrel that they can't seem to just, you know, diffuse between the two of them and it's just never ending, then you can diffuse it. Sooner or later, they're gonna get so used to you saying uh-uh and breaking them up that as soon as they hear it, they'll break them up. But in the meantime, they're probably not letting those reins go quite so easily. Anyway. All right, so I've talked about all our announcements. Um, please subscribe to the show, share it. Uh, comment in our dog guru hounds group, add your friends there. It is an open uh, group to anybody who wants to enjoy the show or has a dog, dog lovers alike. So be sure to join us there. If you have any questions for me, my email is you at gmail.com. You can also message me via the Facebook page. And if you would like to book a one-on-one -on -one consult with me, the best way to do that right now is via email as well. So if feel free to schedule a one-on-one -on -one session with me. That way we can do it via Skype or um, I also have another app that we can use, which is a little bit more effective and stable. So if you would like to do that, I actually record the whole session and I'll send it to you after the fact. So it's $30 for 20 minutes and we do have longer sessions, but usually we can get quite a lot done in, in 20 minutes uh, on in the, in the cyber universe. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. I'd be happy to schedule that with you. All right, everybody, that's it for me today. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. Are you a fan of true crime? Are you looking for a different perspective on certain cases? Are you looking for queer representation and or people of color representation in your true crime coverage? Criminal Musings is a true crime podcast hosted by yours truly, me, JV, a queer black human with a degree in psychology and a passion for exploring the factors and circumstances that led to various crimes being committed. I cover crimes involving queer people and people of color, which means you may be hearing about some new and fascinating cases that you didn't know about before. And I always provide references and shoutouts to other shows who covered these cases as well. Tune in and stay safe out there. You can find Criminal Musings on Apple Podcasts, at Blazing Caribou Studios, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.